Well, at this time, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn it to Philippians and chapter number four. We have been in this series for some time now, and uh, we're getting close to the end. Philippians chapter number four, and we're going to read verses 10 through 16, and then we'll have one more one more message after this, Lord willing. But uh, once you're there, if you would join me, if you're able to, and standing for the reading of God's Word, Philippians chapter number 4, verses 10 through verse 16. Verse 10 says this, uh, Paul, but I rejoiced in the Lord. And uh, by the way, that is the title of our series, Rejoice in the Lord. But uh, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity." And uh, let's stop there and have a word of prayer one more time. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for this uh, letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn the lessons from the passage we just read. Help us, Lord, to not just know them mentally, but Father, I pray that you would help us to apply them to our lives and go and live it, go and practice it. And I pray, Lord, you would uh, just guide and direct it during this time. We pray these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of today's message is Paul's Thank You Note. You know, in the Bible, there is a great emphasis on expressing gratitude. And I realize we just got done with Thanksgiving and we're now in Christmas season, so we're not allowed to talk about gratitude anymore. Well, we're going to anyway. Um, because being thankful is important uh, in the Word of God. And uh, being thankful is mentioned and emphasized, but, uh, but not only being thankful and having a thankful heart, but expressing it is also important as well. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, Paul says this, "...in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you." So we are to give thanks. We are to express the gratitude that is in our heart. And it need, we need to make it known to God and to others. Ephesians 5 and verse 20, Paul says this, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So once again, not just being thankful, but actually uh, having the action of giving thanks and expressing it. Hebrews 13 and verse 15 the writer of Hebrews says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks uh, to his name. So here we're encouraged to express our gratitude. 
When I was a teenager, my best friend and I, Nate, uh, his name was Nathan, but I called him Nate. I actually called him Nate Dog, but anyway, that's a different story. When I was a teenager, Nate and I, my best friend, we would visit, we, we visited my Uncle Pete and my Aunt Joyce uh, for a weekend uh, just together. They invited us to come, and they said, hey, if you guys can come, uh, we'll have a great time together, and uh, we'll do a lot of fun things. And so we did, and uh, we had an awesome time. We got to play golf, and uh, we got to eat a bunch of pizza. Uh, we got to stay up late playing games while eating oatmeal, chocolate chip cookies. Amen. Okay. Uh, we got to shoot my uncle's pellet gun in his backyard. He had a steel trap, and we, he had one of those high-powered pellet guns, and, and uh, he had a steel trap and set up some targets there, and we had a great time. And, uh, and we did all of this on their dime. They paid for it. Again, we had to get there, but then the pizza, the golf, all the ammo and all the cookies and all of the things that we did that weekend, they paid for. Well, it was a really, really fun weekend, and uh, we just had a great time. Well, afterwards, of course, we went home and, and just continued on with life. I mean, yeah, that was a fun weekend, but, you know, on we go. Well, several weeks went by, and, and my uncle uh, Pete and my Aunt Joyce were in our area visiting family. And uh, my uncle called me up and said, hey, would you and Nate like to go to the park and we can just throw the Frisbee around a little bit? And I said, we said, sure, that'd be fun. So we get to the park and uh, right before we start throwing the Frisbee around, my, my uncle kind of sits us down and he says, hey, I just want to talk to you guys about a little something here real quick. And uh, he said, uh, do you remember that uh, weekend uh, a few weeks ago when you guys came down and we did all of the fun things and we're like, oh man, that was awesome. Yeah, we gotta do, when are we going to do that again? You know, that was, that was a lot of fun. And he said, uh, well, I wanted to bring something up. We, we didn't get a thank you note for that weekend. And look, I'm not trying to fish for one now, he said. I, the, the moment's over. But I bring it up to teach you to express the gratitude that I'm sure you had in your heart. When someone does something nice for you or for you, it's good to express that gratitude. Boy, I'm telling you right now, we felt like a couple of lousy, no good bums in that moment. We felt pretty small because we realized we had failed. While we were thankful, we had failed to express that gratitude. And uh, I've never forgotten the lesson that I learned that day there at the park before we threw the Frisbee around a little bit. Now, look, God wants us to be thankful and, of course, to express that gratitude to others. If you recall the story of the ten lepers in the Gospels who were healed by the Lord Jesus, all ten were healed. Out of those ten, how many were thankful? Well, if you say one, I would argue with you, I'm sure all 10 of them were thankful that they were healed, don't you think? All 10 of them were going, wow, I don't have leprosy anymore. This is wonderful. But you see, only one expressed that gratitude. Only one went back to Jesus to explain how thankful they really were and, or, and to tell him thank you. There are several reasons why Paul wrote the book of Philippians, but, but certainly one of the main reasons was really to write a thank you note to this church family 
who communicated with him financially. They gave him a financial gift in order to continue the work and to continue uh, really surviving. And, and in this letter, uh, or in this thank you note, there are three uh, main subjects that he writes about, and I want to take a moment uh, this morning and, and, and ex- examine some of these things, these, these three uh, elements of this thank you note, if you will, um, that, uh, that he wrote to the church at, F- at Philippi. First of, all, uh, first of all, he says he was thankful for their charity. He was thankful for their charity. Verse number 10, he said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And that verse basically means um, they, they finally knew where Paul was, and, and once they realized where Paul was, they sent a financial gift that direction. And, uh, and uh, he rejoiced greatly in it. And then in verse 14, it talks a little bit more about their, their charity towards Paul. He says, Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. And again, communicate wasn't just sending an email or sending a text message. Of course, those, they didn't have those back then. It wasn't they just sent a letter. They sent financial, uh, a financial blessing his direction. In verse 15, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Now charity here, of course, we know charity means love. It's not just uh, we're going to give to a charity. And uh, a lot of Americans think that when, when the word charity is mentioned, it's like, well, which charity are you going to you know, choose for your birthday fundraiser, right, on Facebook? <laughs> Some of you have seen that. Um, charity really in the Bible means love. And, uh, and, it, and it means a real heart love that is moved to action. Uh, right when I got here to Cornerstone Baptist Church and uh, became the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church, uh, the first really morning sermon series that I started was a sermon series called Amazing Love. And we looked at the love of God in different elements and different ways. Uh, for those who are here, maybe that jogs some things into your memory. Well, in that series, we saw from the Bible that love is not just something we feel. Love is something that we do. Love is an action word. And Jesus said in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He felt so uh, warm and fuzzy inside. I'm sure maybe he did. I'm not removing emotion from love, but that's not all love is. Love is moved to action because for God so loved the world that he gave. Of course, that's what this Christmas season is all about, isn't it? Uh, the fact that he loved us so much that he was willing to give, and the gift that he gave for us this Christmas was was extremely expensive. It was his only begotten son. Pretty amazing that he would be willing to give his son for us. And that love moved him and and caused him to give the very best that he had to us. So love is an action word, and it's not something, again, that we feel. It's something that we do, and, and that was true for God, and it should be true for us too. John 1 John 3.18 says this, My little children... Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's, as they say, talk is cheap, isn't it? It's easy to say that you love someone, but it's another thing to show them that you love them. 
And see, this, this church family didn't just say that they loved the Apostle Paul. They, they showed it. They proved it. Uh, true love always gives, and, and this church family truly loved the Apostle Paul. And they, he recognized the fact that they loved him so much that they were willing to give to him. They were willing to sacrifice for him, but also, most of all, for the Lord's work. And uh, he was thankful for their charity. And a couple aspects about their charity I want to point out this, this morning here. First of all, their, their giving was appreciated. Their giving was, was greatly appreciated. Verse number 10, he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And then he also appreciates it in verse number 14, not, notwithstanding ye have well done. He, he compliments them. He, he's letting them know that I appreciate the gift that you've given, and I'm saying thank you. Have you ever received a financial gift you weren't expecting at just the right time? How many of you have ever had that happen? Would you raise your hand? Probably most of us. Um, most of us have received a, a financial windfall right when we needed it, maybe even when we didn't realize we needed it, it came. I remember the story that uh, my wife was at West Coast Baptist College getting ready to graduate from, from college, and uh, that, was, that was really important because after graduation, we were going to get married. So we needed to cover the graduation. We needed to get her done with school so that we could get married. Well, it was, uh, oh, I don't know, a week or so ago, week or so before the final that she was going to take, and she was behind on her school bill. She was $700 behind on her school bill. And I remember her talking to me about it, and uh, I was, I was uh, a, a very poor staff member at a Baptist church about two hours away, and I was going, boy, I hope that the Lord provides for her. <laughs> And so she was telling me, and I said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God provides this, this needed funds. Well, a couple days later, just before she needs to take her final, she checks her mailbox there and yeah, there in, in the, the mailroom, and, and there's, a, there's a notice there. And I don't remember all the details, but long story short, someone had anonymously taken care of the rest of her school bill, just in time for her to take her final uh, final tests and be able to graduate. So she called me up and she said, oh, that was so sweet of you, Eric. I said, well, sweet of me for what? You know, I mean, I know I'm pretty sweet, but I mean, you know, why this time, you know? Let's add it to the list, the very long growing list of why I'm so sweet. Anyway, um, and she said, well, someone paid my school bill and I'm pretty sure I know who it was. And I said, I don't know who it was. <laughs> Honestly, I don't. <laughs> we just know it was the Lord who took care of that need. And, uh, and both of us, and, and certainly Julie was, as verse 10 says, rejoice in the Lord greatly. Fast forward a little, little bit of time, and we're up in Montana there. Uh, it was probably about uh, a couple years ago, and we were struggling to make ends meet. I had, I had quit my my full-time job, and now I was doing my own business and trying to build my clientele, trying to build my business up, and we're just scraping things together, and we can't even tell you how it worked every month, but it did. Somehow we were able to make the payments on the different uh, bills that we had and, and uh, just make it barely. 
Now, we were struggling this one month, and there was no way we were going to make it. I didn't. There was no, like, clients that have invoices out there, none of that. It was, we're going to be in trouble. My dad calls me up and says, well, Eric, I have an inheritance that I received, and uh, I helped your brother with a little bit. I want to help you with some if that'd be helpful. And I said, Dad, you have no idea how helpful that would be. And so he said, we'll go ahead and send that your direction. You should receive it in a few days. Oh, I can't tell you how we rejoiced in the Lord greatly when that came in. The Lord was good to us. And I'm sure you could share testimonies and stories of how the Lord blessed you as well. And, and Paul was, was appreciating these gifts, and, and it was appreciated. Now, God appreciates our gifts when they are given with the right spirit. Do you recall the verse that says, God loveth a cheerful giver? Someone has said, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grouch just the same. Um, but he does want us to be a cheerful giver. He does want us to give with a love for him and a love for what that is going to go to, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, the ministry and, and giving to the Lord's work. In the book of Hebrews, it says, but to do good and to communicate. And again, this isn't just verbal communication. This is financial communication. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He appreciates it when we give, when we're willing to give our, our finances to the Lord's work. He appreciates it. And I appreciate the generosity of our church family when it comes to giving towards missions giving towards people like the Apostle Paul who are planning churches and going around trying to be a blessing and, and encourage uh, the Lord's people. And uh, I appreciate your willingness to sacrificially give uh, towards the Lord's work in that way. And also for your faithfulness in giving to the Lord's work here at Cornerstone. I appreciate your generosity and your faithfulness along those lines. So their giving here in Philippians was appreciated. But secondly, notice here their giving was in affliction, in affliction during difficult times. Verse 14, if you look down with me on that verse, it says, Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. And then 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, you don't have to turn over there, but I'm going to read five verses. So if you'd like to follow along, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, I want, to, I want to share a passage that refers to the church at Philippi. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's talking, of course, to the church at Corinth. But in this letter to the Corinthians, he's referring back to uh, one of the churches or some of the churches in Macedonia, which Philippi was part of that area. So certainly uh, he was referring to the Philippians. 2 Corinthians 8.1 says, Moreover, brethren, we do, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So this passage is saying, look, there's some churches in Macedonia who, were, who weren't really 
all that well to do, but yet they still gave tremendously. My family and I, we had the privilege of FaceTiming with one of our missionaries this past Friday morning. We got to talk with the Stences family, our missionaries to Uganda. And uh, they took us on the grand tour of where they live, and it was, it was very interesting to see all the things that they had to do to their home to kind of retrofit it to be a little more Americanized. And uh, it was kind of neat to see all of that. But one of the things that... Uh, they were uh, talking about is a, is a building that they're trying to build, and uh, they want to. They realize that they need to add a third story to that building. And they said, but that's going to add, I think it was $30,000. It's like, I don't know what we're going to do. I, I hate asking for money. And we got into the discussion on that, and, uh, and I, I began to say, you know, just put it out there and see what the Lord does. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we like to try to help with projects like that. I'm not guaranteeing anything, but oftentimes we like to try to help with situations that, that help get the gospel out and help, help the situations these missionaries are in. And he said, he made this comment. He said, you know, that's a great idea. And it is, it's amazing to me that even some of the smaller churches actually participate even more. And I don't know if that's the experience you had when you were in, on the mission field, but... Uh, the smaller churches, the ones who maybe don't have as much, seem to have a little bit more um, attention towards our missionaries. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But here was a church that was struggling financially, but the Lord still used them in a great way to be a blessing to the Apostle Paul. Now, a lot of Christians give their time, their talents, and their treasure when it's convenient, when it's easy, when they have extra these believers here at Philippi gave when it wasn't easy to do. Now, why? Why did they do it? I believe they realized the principle of Matthew 6, 19, where Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This, this little church here, this church with some affliction that they dealt with, um, they were still willing to give because they understood that, look, getting more stuff for us isn't going to have any eternal implications. But sending it to the work of God, that has eternal implications. And we want to we wanna do that. We want to focus our money where our heart should be. Now, a lot of times we think, well, you know, our, 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 our wallet follows our heart. No, actually, according to the Bible, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So really, our heart follows our wallet. So as our wallet goes, so does our heart. But we think, we think it's this way, but it's actually this way. And so here was a church that was saying, I want to send things towards the work of God, towards things that matter for eternity. And, uh, and they were, that's one of the reasons that Paul wrote this, this book, is to thank them for doing just that. And so I want to encourage us to do that too, to put our money towards things that matter for eternity. Because the things that matter for this life, they're all going to burn anyway. But the things that matter for eternity will never burn, and that's, eternal interest that we'll be gaining. 
And uh, I, I would encourage you along those lines. Uh, one more thought here on that is the widow's two mites. If you think about that story, this was a lady who had great affliction, but she gave anyway. Mark 12 records the story, and Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. There came a certain poor widow, and she threw in only two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto him, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury, for all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Here was a lady who, in her affliction, was still willing to give it all. And uh, that was appreciated by Jesus. Their giving was appreciated, and it was also during affliction. But also, notice here, uh, thirdly here, their giving was alone. Verse number 15, back in Philippians 4. Their giving was alone. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel... When I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. They were the only ones that gave. This church family wasn't following the crowd. They were following Christ. And it didn't really matter what others were doing or not doing. This church family determined to support the beloved Apostle Paul no matter what. Once they found out where he was again, uh, they continued to send again. A lot of times we think, look, I, I want to make sure that everybody else is kind of on board before I do something that's right. Look, not every time uh, everybody's going to jump on board. Sometimes we need to do it alone. Their mentality was much like Joshua of old when he said, look, you do what you want to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do what's right. We're going to honor and, and, and bless this, this great missionary and, and send him with some uh, financial means to help him with his ministry. Have you heard, have you heard this uh, little saying, if it's going to be, it's up to me? And sometimes, if it's going to be, it's going to be up to me. You've got to be willing to stand alone to do what's right. Sometimes, or maybe you've heard this saying too, everybody's business is nobody's business. Here's an apostle that needs financial support. Well, I'm sure there's other churches that he's helped start. I'm sure they'll they'll take care of it. I mean, look at us. We don't have much. Uh, Why don't the church at Ephesus, or why doesn't one of the other churches start supporting him? And, And maybe when we come around, we'll be able to take him on for support. That's not what they had. They didn't have the everybody's business is nobody's business mentality. They said, I'm going to take it upon ourselves. We're going to take it upon ourselves to do it. They saw the need and they took the lead. Sometimes as a believer, we're going to have to be willing to stand alone and do what's right. So their giving was alone. But then lastly here, they gave again. They gave again, verse number 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. It's the idea of, uh, the word flourished is the idea of like a a plant that you, you know, kind of remove and then it just kind of grows back again. It's like, man, I thought I got rid of it. But it's flourishing again. It's flourishing again. 
And they didn't just give once and call it good. No, they gave continually. Verse number 16, it says, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. This, wasn't, this was a continual support situation, and Paul was thankful for that. Uh, they gave when it was easy and when it wasn't. They were willing to stay faithful in their charity. So first of all, he was thankful for their charity, but a couple more things he mentions in this uh, passage, in this thank you note. I think he was thankful also, number two, for contentment. He was thankful for contentment. And verse number 11 says here, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound everywhere in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He was thankful for contentment. Isn't that kind of the same thing? Isn't that a little redundant, thankful and contentment? Maybe a little. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says this, Let your conversation or lifestyle be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For you have said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God wants us to be content. 1 Timothy 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Look, those of us who are maybe wanting to get designer clothes or a really nice new car or a beautiful dream home, friend, you can't take any of that with you. It's not wrong to have, but if that's our focus, we're focused on the wrong thing. Having food and raiment, Paul says, let us therewith be content. A couple things about contentment I want to point out here. First of all, it was learned. Verse number 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Look, contentment isn't natural. When someone is born, we do not come out of the womb content with our situation, right? Uh, Moms, how many of your children came out going, thank you for giving birth to me? That was a wonderful experience. You're such a wonderful mother. It didn't happen, right? They came out complaining from moment number one, especially my children. You guys were professional complainers from moment one. And I'm not just saying that because you're my children. You're special, though. But it's... We come out of this world, we come into this world not very content, not very happy with our situation. So if we're going to be content, we're going to have to learn it. It's not natural. I read about a man who became really jealous of his friends because they had, they had bigger and more luxurious homes uh, than he had. So he decided, you know what, I'm going to list my house and, uh, and sell it and uh, purchase a more impressive home to you know, impress my friends. Shortly afterwards, as he was uh, reading the classified section of the newspaper, he, he, saw for, he saw an ad for a house that seemed just perfect for him. It was kind of what, we, what he was looking for. And he promptly called the realtor and said, Hey, look, I, I just saw a house described in today's paper, and it's exactly what I'm looking for. I, I'd, I'd like to set up an appointment and go through it as soon as possible. The agent asked him several questions about it and then replied, um, Sir, I don't need to be rude, but that's, that's the house that you're selling that you're talking about right now. <laughs> you 
You see, he hadn't learned to be content with his own situation. Philip uh, Parham tells the story of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Well, because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Why don't you go catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. Well, what would I do with them? Well, you could earn more money, came the impatient reply, and buy a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could then purchase nylon nets and catch even more fish and make more money, and soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich just like me. The fisherman asked, well, then what would I do? Well, then you could sit down and enjoy life, said the industrialist. What do you think I'm doing now? The fisherman replied as he looked calmly out to sea. You see, that's a lot of Americans want to have more and more because they want to enjoy life. Look, you can enjoy life with what you have. You don't need to have more. God could teach you to be content if you'll let him. So of all the things to learn in our lives, learning contentment is up there on the vitally important. So contentment was learned, but it was also in the Lord. It was also in the Lord. Look at verse number 11. Not that I, I'm sorry, verse 12. For I know both how to be abased, how to abound everywhere in all things. I'm instructed, there's the learning again, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So, His contentment wasn't in his circumstances. His contentment was in his Lord. And I was trying to make this cool, and I thought I would... I was saying this this morning as I was getting ready. I said, your contentment doesn't need to be in your situationship. It needs to be in your relationship. Situationship isn't a word, but I'm making it up today, and I'm going to use it. And that's true. We, We sometimes place our happiness in our situation, don't we? in our circumstance, in what we have or don't have. Paul said, look, it doesn't matter. He said in verse 11, it doesn't matter whatever state I am in. And uh, obviously, he's not talking about California, Oklahoma, although uh, those of us who are in Oklahoma, if God has you here, it's good for you to learn to be content in Oklahoma. By the way, I've been to California and Montana, and I like Oklahoma, especially over... California. <laughs> but uh, it, his, his contentment wasn't in his situation. It was in his relationship with uh, Christ. So it was in the Lord, and, and this means in time of abasement. Um, he says in verse 12, I know how to be abased of humble means. Some of you who've been to third world countries know what I'm talking about. Those who, those who have very little seem to actually have more happiness than those of us in America who have very much. It's because they learn to be content. Leaning over, leaning on his fence one day, a devout Quaker was watching a new neighbor move in next door, and Quakers were ones that didn't have a lot of the modern stuff that all of us have. A devout Quaker was watching his new neighbor move in next door, and after all kinds of modern appliances, electronic gadgets, plush furniture, and costly wall hanging, hangings had been carried in, the onlooker called over, Hey, if you find you're lacking anything, neighbor, let me know and I'll show you how to live without it. 
And here's a man who learned to live without some of the things that all Americans think they need to have. They need to have the latest greatest. They need to have uh, what everyone else has. No, uh, we can learn to live without it, and Paul certainly did. He learned to be content no matter if he had much or if he had little. It didn't matter to him. His contentment was in Christ, not in his situation. It's also in times of abundance as well. I mean, keeping our focus and contentment not in the things we have when the Lord does bless. Some of us have been blessed tremendously. Some of us do have much. But we better be careful that our our, uh, contentment is not in those things that we have. Because in a moment, and boy, those of us in Moore, Oklahoma, know that it can be gone in a moment, don't we? Um, it's going to burn up one day anyway, so our contentment needs to not be in our things, but in uh, the Lord that we have. Steve Jobs, most of us know, is one of the co-founders of Apple Incorporated. He died a billionaire with a fortune of $7 billion at the age of 56 from pancreatic cancer. Here are some of his last words that he shared with the world. In others' eyes, my life is the essence of success. But aside from work, I have little joy. And in the end, wealth is just a fact of life to which I am accustomed. At this moment, lying on the bed, sick and remembering all my life, I realize that all my recognition and wealth that I have is meaningless in the face of imminent death. You can hire someone to drive a car for you. Make money for you, but you cannot rent someone to carry the disease for you. One can find material things, but there is one thing that cannot be found when it is lost, and that is life. There's some wisdom there. I do not believe that Steve Jobs was a Christian. He's a well-known Buddhist and was trusting in not the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm hoping that he got saved on his deathbed. I don't know that he did or didn't. But the point is, here was a man who had much, much more than most people will ever have. And yet he said, this doesn't bring real joy. So you young people who are looking to do something with your life, don't chase the dollar. The dollar can't satisfy Only a relationship with God can bring real satisfaction in your life and serving Him from your heart. Paul trusted the sovereignty of God and that the Lord knew uh, what he needed at the moment, whether it was beside the still waters, the green pastures, or in the valley of the shadow of death. Paul was content because he knew that the Lord was with him and that he had a plan and a purpose for it all. Benjamin Franklin said, Contentment makes poor men rich. Discontentment makes rich men poor. So wherever you're at on the spectrum, if you, are, if you have much, be content. If you have little, be content. Someone else said, if contentment does not produce riches, it achieves the same object by banishing the desire for them. Look, if you're not going to get all of the things that maybe everybody else has, contentment banishes the desire to get them and you can be content with what you have. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. I read this this morning and I threw it in my notes because it fit this very topic. 
Verse 17 of Habakkuk 3, a very not very well-known passage, but it says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olives shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herds in the stalls. Sounds like very bad news. But then the writer of Habakkuk says this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He says, look, though the circumstances be not very good, I'm still going to choose, make the choice to rejoice in the Lord. Let's move on here to number three here. Not only was he thankful for their charity, he was thankful for contentment, but thirdly, he was thankful for confidence. And here we come to one of the most popular verses of the entire Word of God, verse number 13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul was thankful for the confidence that he could have in Christ. It's a good reason that it is so popular. And uh, in our Sunday school class, we were asking what, their, what people's favorite verses were. And, and today, uh, we had, uh, I think, six or seven in our class. And, and uh, two of them said Philippians chapter number 4 and verse 13 was their favorite verse. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. A couple quick thoughts about this, and, and we'll wrap it up here. First of all, notice the scope of his confidence, the scope. That means what, uh, what, what things can be he be confident in? Verse number 13, I can do how many things? All things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now, before we get too excited about that, I do want to put a little rain on the parade a little bit. Because a lot of people use this verse out of context and even out of the intended application as well. Um, to say that, to kind of give them permission to do whatever they want to do because I can do all things through Christ. Uh, no, that's not exactly the intent here. Uh, when Paul said all things here, he meant all things which were God's will for him to do. He had learned that the Lord's commands are the Lord's enablements. The Lord wants me to be a good Christian. Well, I can do all that through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The Lord wants me to be a good husband to my wife. Well, I can do that through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The Lord wants me to be a good father to my children. Well, I can do that through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The Lord wants me to be a faithful pastor. Well, I can do that through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You see, well, I can, I can jump to the moon right now because I can do all things through Christ. Well, see, that's taking it out of context. I can be a millionaire. Well, I suppose if you work hard and it's God's will, then yes, you can. But maybe it's not God's will for every person on the planet to claim that verse and say, I'm going to be a millionaire. So be careful when you start applying that verse to selfish things and saying, well, I can do all things through Christ. We better make sure that we're understanding that these are all things within Christ's will for us. That's what he was intending to say here. That's what he uh, meant to say. All things that God wants me to do can indeed be done, though. And Why? Because of his great enabling power. I am thankful for the fact that, yes, I can be a good Christian. I can be a faithful pastor. I can be an effective father and a loving husband. I can do these things. 
because of his great enabling power. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. I love this verse. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out thy, thine arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. So me being a good Christian and me being a faithful pastor and me doing God's will, that's cake for God. That's easy peasy. There's nothing too hard for thee. If you recall the announcement to Mary, when the angel told her that she would be the one who would give birth to the Son of God, in, 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 remember Mary said, how, how can this happen when I don't know a man? The angel said, basically, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. God is able to do this through you. So the scope of his confidence is, look, all things, but again, we need to properly understood, we need to understand the fact that it is within the will of God for our lives. And we can't just apply that to just anything and everything that uh, we get a whim to do. So the scope of his confidence, but then notice uh, here uh, next, the source of his confidence, the source. I can do all things, of course, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It doesn't say I can do all things through my charming good looks, through my witty personality, through my wonderful talents, through my gritty determination. No, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Because John 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do some things. No, that's not what it says. You can do nothing. There's not a thing we can do without God's enabling power. I'm thankful for the fact that He does give us the strength to do what we are called to do. Okay, so in Paul's thank you note, he expressed his gratitude for their charity. He expressed gratitude for contentment, and he expressed gratitude for the confidence that is in Christ. May God help us also to have real charity in our hearts to others, and particularly those who are giving the gospel out. Not just a warm and fuzzy feeling, no, but charity that leads to giving. And if you're not currently giving to worldwide evangelism, I would encourage you to start doing that. On our offering envelopes, we have a place for missions. I would encourage you to begin giving towards those who are sacrificing so much all around the world to giving the gospel to people who need it so desperately. I would encourage you to have real charity in your hearts that leads you to give. And may God also help us to learn how to be content in the Lord no matter what our situation is, if we have much or little or somewhere in between, that we're focusing not on the things that we have, but on the person we have a relationship with. And then lastly, may, we, may God help us to have confidence in Him as we live our lives for Him. I know sometimes it's tough to think that we can do difficult things for the Lord, but we can do them through Christ, which strengthens us. Paul's thank you note. I've never forgotten the lesson that my uncle taught me that day before we started throwing the Frisbee around. Express gratitude. I hope that you'll express gratitude for uh, the charity that others have for you, and that you express gratitude for the contentment that you can have in Christ and the confidence that you can have in Christ as well. And let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Lord, thank you for 
Lord, the charity that um, so many of our church family have towards getting the gospel out here in Moore, Oklahoma, and around the world through our missions program. Lord, I pray that you would continue to burden our heart and give us a real love, a real charity that leads us to give and to give sacrificially, knowing that if we just keep it all for ourselves, it's going to things that will burn up someday. Lord, things that are necessary, I we understand that, but Lord, help us to be content as well. Help us to learn contentment. And Lord, help us to have the right confidence in you. As we are called by you to accomplish your will, help us, Lord, to place our trust in you alone for that. 